It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Scott and Lauren. Welcome to the podcast. He's Lauren. And he's Scott. Let's get into it. Alright, so our movie that we're dealing with today is Genki Doodle Dandy, a 1942 uh, picture that won a whole bunch of Academy Awards and is number 97 on AFI's top 100 list. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> and you're going to have to explain this one to me, or we're going to, I mean, that's, I think, the entire conversation we're going to end up having about this, because um, as I watched it, um, I was a little bored, I'll be honest. Like, the, the, the beginning was very strong, and I loved the ending, but we'll talk about that later. But this movie, I mean, it's about, uh, it's about musician and uh, songwriter and all-around performer um, George Cohen. Um, I'd never heard of him, honestly, until this movie. I had heard one of his songs before, and I didn't realize it until we were into the movie. Um, but it's a very interesting musical, especially for one that's supposed, you know, that's on this AFI Top 100 list. It, I, I'm kind of shocked, having watched it, that this movie's on the list and not something like Fiddler on the Roof. I mean, there are other musicals that are on the list, but it's like, this is kind of an interesting one. You know, this one somehow outranks Toy Story, and I, that confuses me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, um, all right, well, just to give you kind of some, some background on the movie, it was released in 1942, so uh, kind of towards the tail end of, uh, well, kind of middle tail end of World War II, I guess. Um, Actually, a couple, couple more years coming up. Yeah, well, that's that's one year after Pearl Harbor, that's right? That's true, yes. Pearl Harbor was 1941. Yes, so I guess it was, what, 40? Yeah, okay. Sorry, I was... Okay. Yes, so 1942, towards the beginning of the war effort. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, it was... Uh, this is a totally different movie than most... Uh, it stars James Cagney, and it's a, it's a totally different movie than most of his movies. He's um, best known, probably, for his gangster movies that he did. He did a ton of gangster movies um but uh for this movie he won uh his only actor or best actor award Mm -hmm. um and the movie itself won several academy awards including best music uh scoring of a musical picture and best sound recording and it was nominated for several other awards um and then uh, including uh best writing and best picture, hmm. Scott. So there you go. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well played. And then in 1993, the movie was actually selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And so. that, and that, I can absolutely agree with. And that's the thing Kelly and I said as we watched it. We went that we can completely see why this was an important movie in 1942. We can see why this was a beloved movie going into the 50s even. But here we are 70 years later. How is this movie still relevant? Or why is this movie still relevant? Right. Um, well, uh, okay. Let's, I mean, let's look at it first maybe in the historical context and then we can kind of look at it... Uh, in, in a modern context. So, in 1942, um, with the war going on, I mean, this is probably, truly, the most patriotic movie uh, ever made. <laughs> I could argue. 
Um, it you know it's it's very raw raw go United States. Yes, very much so. Um, and uh, but in and it's done in an incredibly positive way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we. I mean, it's the closest thing. I guess. I mean, technically, I guess it is propaganda, especially by the end of the movie. But it is the best kind of propaganda you can have if you're going to have it. You know, it's it's it doesn't really sling. Um, any racial slurs or anything, anything mean spirited. It's not directed at anybody. It's all positive directed towards us mm-hmm. kind of as, as Americans. It's a very just like, Hey, you know, we're in a war, support your troops kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it, I mean the, the musical numbers are all, you know, I mean the, the movie itself talks about how much flag waving and, um, and you know, just I mean patriotic everything as it starts off you know with, <laughs> right from the beginning yeah um, <laughs> he's born and his dad puts a flag in his hand like within I guess ten minutes of him being born he has a flag in his hand <laughs> exactly so I mean it's it's crazy patriotic um, and positive I think that positive yes. thing is is incredibly important to um, to mention because this is you know one of the very early biopics. Mm-hmm. Um, that was coming out, and when you compare to biopics today, I mean, most of the biopics you have now, um, you know, kind of follow a structure of like there's some kid who usually has issues of some sort. He turns out to be, uh, you know, really good at something, and goes on to become famous for it, uh, and then uh, ends up having like drug problems or <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know something awful and ruins all of his relationships, and then finally uh, either dies. Poor, or has like one final hurrah and comes and, back somehow. And um, in the lighter sense, this movie actually does follow that structure, just without the drug issue. Exactly. It, he, it, he does kind of fall out of Broadway for a little while. He does stop doing what he's doing for a little while. But the movie does basically end with two big hurrahs. Exactly. But it follows that formula in the most positive way. Oh, absolutely! Possible. In the most absolute positive way possible. His. His worst moment is basically that he's bored, <laughs> and, 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 and he, yeah, he dissolves his uh, his working relationship with his partner and says, "Nope, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go live in the country now." And he goes, he goes and lives in the country, and then he gets really upset when some teenagers don't recognize him, and so he goes back to Broadway. Yeah. So anyhow, it's it's a crazy positive movie, um, which. Is, uh, that's a, a whole thing that I'd kind of like to discuss a little bit. Is that you know is is something like that even possible today to make a movie that positive? You know, or, or are we in such a place where we're so cynical now that we couldn't handle something like this? Exactly. I, you know, I, I wonder about that sometimes. Um, anyhow, and, and this may be um, this may be one of the reasons, Scott, that you and I question this movie is is maybe. maybe uh, you know, maybe this really rings true with with a certain group of people who are incredibly nostalgic for the good old days, and maybe this is the quintessential epitome of the good old days. Maybe. You know, uh, you might be right, because as I crane my neck over here to look at my movies, I go, surely there's a positive movie over here. But no, not really. <laughs> I think the closest thing I can find is a movie, uh, The 500 Days of Summer, I felt was... I mean, it does have some darker moments in it, but I mean, not terribly dark. And the whole thing kind of is structured to look at a relationship and say, well, even the ones that don't work are supposed to get you to the one that does work. Mm-hmm. And so 
in a way it has a very positive message and the whole thing is just such a fun movie um but but ultimately you're right i mean we're definitely in a darker place right now we're definitely in a more cynical place right now um where everything has to be you know viewed through a certain lens Mm -hmm. um so uh i don't know i mean that's uh, you know i i also see that this movie uh, is very much um you know it's very much a uh at the time and even today i mean it's it's a story that is the epitome of the american dream really i would say yeah um yeah. you know george cohen he's this poor kid uh with talent uh he's a bit of an ass i would also say yeah uh, definitely but in kind of a fun uh in a good way. If again, in the in most a po- good way that ruins his family's prospects. Exactly. In, in, the most, in the most positive way that you can be as something of an ass, he is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, uh, it, it's it truly is the American dream. It's it's a rags to riches story. It's you know he he works hard. Um, and he he pays his dues. It all pays off. And then you know he becomes a one man show. He does it all. He sings. He dances. Yeah. He's a writer. He's a producer. He owns a theater. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's the American dream. It really is. I, I, I wasn't I wasn't sure if his parents were immigrants or at least his grandparents were. It, I felt like they, they were very fresh to America. So I mean, it's definitely it almost encapsulates the whole American story of coming here. You know, and and they're vaudeville performers. Mm-hmm. Like his entire family is at the beginning. So these are people who are fighting every day to find their niche in America and continually stay relevant. And it just it goes through his entire life. Of this is a place where you can be great, should you want to be. Exactly. Um, yeah, it, it definitely it. And, and I mean, I do think that is one of the strengths of this movie is that it really does speak, um, you know, across. Um, a wide range of people because it is speaking to the entire American populace, I would say. And I, yeah, and I have to say that I really enjoyed the political humor at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I got, a, I, I got a real kick out of it. He meets the president. And he's like, "Oh, I was reading the newspaper." He's like, "Oh, you can't trust that's a Republican newspaper." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "That's great. That's a, that's the kind of joke we would crack today. I mean, that that hasn't changed in 70 mm-hmm. years." Um, I, I, maybe that takes me to another thought that I had watching it. Um, I can see, I can see why this movie might have actually won some awards for good writing, because when you're in some of the dialogue sequences, there is some really really witty um, dialogue, and there's some actually some very well crafted scenes in here. I would, I, I completely agree. I did. I my, my favorite scene probably, other than the last one, um, is the scene where the the girl comes backstage and she confuses him for an old man because he's in his old man getup and he actually acts like an old man. He talks like an old man. And then through the scene, he slowly reveals himself to be a young man. And it's, it's very effective. You know, it works really well. It's funny because, you know, he starts dancing incredibly fast and recklessly for an old man Mm -hmm. for a 20 year old man. Absolutely fine. You know, mm-hmm. anybody could do that. You know, and she's basically sitting there worried he's going to throw out a hip or something. Exactly. Um, it's it's, a, it's it, a really funny scene. It is. And, uh, you know, and some of the interactions with the president and, and some of that. I yeah. mean, it's just, it's, there's some really, really good writing in it. And mm-hmm. I think um, this, is, this is maybe one of the places where we think this movie has some issues, is that um, I think the narrative parts of this movie are 
are pretty decent. Uh, you know, I think Cagney is good, in, really good in the role. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But kind of when it switches over to the musical side, um, because this is a full-fledged musical, uh, incredibly, that- incredibly full-fledged. As soon as it switches to the musical side. That's where this movie bogs down. And that's, and that's why I would almost not consider it a musical. And I know that's exactly the opposite of what you just said. <laughs> yes. But um, it's like, to me, a musical is something like uh, Sound of Music or Fiddler on the Roof, where you have characters who, when trying to express themselves, they have no choice but to sing. It's like, I am out of all emotions. Words are failing me. I must sing at this point because through my music, I can express myself. Where this movie was really a, a biopic about a writer who made music. And so all, none of the music progresses the story. None of the music actually uh, expresses what anybody's feeling outside of a writer saying, I want to write a song about this. Mm-hmm. And so you get a, you get a glimpse, in, glimpse into him, but as soon as they go into a song, the story stops, everything just slows, they go, they go oh, we're going to shoot this song now. And it's, every song is a performance, mm-hmm. either on stage or on a different stage. You know? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's maybe a couple of moments where they, where they do a little bit better with that, but unfortunately yeah. the songs at that point are maybe not as interesting as they could be. And yeah. like, like, um, specifically the, the Mary song... Yes, is the one I was thinking of. Uh, they they play it way too many times in the movie. Um, <laughs> is the first. It's not that. I, I know this is one of his huge hits, but today it's not that strong of a song. I was, um, yeah, I was trying to remember. It reminded me there was an old Bugs Bunny cartoon where Bugs Bunny. I think it must have been some kind of parody of this movie, even because the. I think it's about Bugs Bunny being interviewed after he's incredibly famous. And he talks about being on a vaudeville show, and every time they cut to the vaudeville show, they sing the same song. It's like him and three guys, I think. And they come, uh, they come running onto the stage. They sing the song, and then they go running off stage. And it's like, and as a kid, I remember watching that cartoon and thinking it was funny, but also very annoying that they kept singing the same song. And then I saw this movie, and I go, "Oh, I think they were making fun of this thing." <laughs> <laughs> it, um... And so there's this sequence, and it's, this is maybe the most effective use of the music somehow in the whole movie, for mm-hmm. some reason, where he writes this song for the girl he's in love with, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, you're kind of like, okay, it's a cheesy song, but he wrote it for this girl, so okay. And he sings it to her, and they have this whole thing where they sing the whole song. And then he goes to meet this actress that he's trying to get into this new um new musical he's doing and she wants nothing to do with him so he writes a new song for her during her first act of her play and she comes backstage and he plays that one for her and she's very impressed with it and then um, his partner his writing partner helps him or, or decides to help out and says hey you have to hear this other song that he just wrote and hands her the sheet music and she starts playing the same song over again ends up taking it over and it becomes her song rather than his wife's song. And it's that whole sequence where he has to go back and explain that. It's a really effective sequence, except yeah. that we've heard this song like three times because he goes home and there's his you know, girlfriend, soon-to-be wife, who uh, is playing the song again. And, yeah. then, and yeah. then after that sequence, we cut to the actual performance of it. And we get the whole thing again. But it's the extended version now that goes into the whole medley of yeah. other songs from that show. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's probably... it's 
those scenes are kind of effective. They get across some really interesting story stuff, but it also you get you know a fifteen minute segment where you hear the same song for, for probably minutes. <laughs> fifteen minutes or yeah. you know, eight minutes of that fifteen minutes, and it just it's it just and, brings the movie to a crushing halt. And to me, I think this would be a good time to to discuss for me what I felt the whole movie was, and that was there was a feeling I had that if I lived in 1942, I would, all of these scenes would mean something to me because I would have maybe heard this story. Mm -hmm. Maybe I was a little bit more familiar with some of these characters or I knew that song. And so to see that 15 minute sequence, I would go, Oh, that's how that song got written. That's kind of cool. I never knew. It's like, I almost feel like it would be as if someone wrote a movie today about, I don't know, like Angelina Jolie, somebody who we, have heard almost her entire story via interviews or uh, things on television or whatever. We can't turn away. Like, oh, she adopted another child. And then they made that movie about her right now. We would go, oh, look, it's that scene where she went to Africa and did that thing. That's really, okay, so that's how that happened. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like the narrative necessarily made a strong case for some of the inclusions that were in there, but yet were showing us things that maybe we're vaguely, we were supposed to be vaguely familiar with. And, you know, I, I can see in, um, you know, in 1942, when this is coming out, uh, you know, some of these songs were massive hits during their day. Uh, yeah. You know, people in America, uh, you know, especially the people still at home, it's going to mm-hmm. be either your really young people or your older people who can't serve in the war who are still at home or, you know, or the women, um, who serving, you know, at home. And, uh, these songs and these, this story, I can see being very, um, nostalgic even at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, very much like, Oh yeah, I grew up with those songs or man, that was, you know, referencing back to world war one, you know, like these were some of the, the raw raw songs that got people through world war one. At this point, this music was 30 years old. Mm -hmm. So it'd be like somebody playing, uh, Bob Dylan today, or somebody from the seventies, eighties. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is kind of this is kind of uh, the nineteen forty two equivalent of Walk the Line, kind of. You know, I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. You know, and so you, you definitely get the man. These songs, they're great songs. These are, you know, these are our songs. These are American songs. This mm-hmm. is, you know, you know, Walk the Line. You know, Johnny Cash. It's American music. It's, you know, I mean, he's the quintess. Uh, it's the same thing, kind of. And you know, and I can really see that being. Um, very nostalgic, and then putting on these theatrical numbers during this. Um, you know, I mean, granted, this was also partially the style, you know, coming out of the whole Bugsby Berkeley, uh, uh, you know, thing and the, the Zigfield sorts of things. You know, a lot of that was filmed. And so you, you there is a lot of shifting musical style at this point and, and the concept of what a musical would be. But, you know, I could see there being some value in presenting a version of the stage production to an audience that maybe hadn't gotten to see that or, or some of whom had and really reliving those memories somehow. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there might be some value to that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Um, anyhow. Uh, at the same time, I don't know that much of uh, much of the music holds up to it. I mean, there's a few that do. Uh, you know, um, I don't think I don't I don't think there's any whole song that holds up today. I think some of the choruses mm-hmm. still really work. 
Um, you know, the only song I was familiar with was Over There, and that was a song that I haven't heard probably in 20 years, even still, because I grew up on a military basis for the first 10, 11 years of my life. Uh, my dad was in the Air Force, and so I definitely heard that song. And so when, in hearing it, I definitely had an emotional response. So I went, oh, he's the guy that wrote... And I, so I was taken back to you know 4th of July fireworks of my youth. And I was like, that song still works for me, but I don't know if that would work for somebody that's... That doesn't have those memories. Does it, yeah, it doesn't have a connection to it, yeah. Well, and even with something like Over There, which is, uh, you know, I would probably say that is one of the most famous songs out of this movie. Um, you know, I, I know you're familiar probably because of, of your military history mm-hmm. with the chorus of it, but when you get into, like, the, the verses and some of that, I mean... Um, yeah, like, I still like, know like, the words to it. <laughs> like, well, like, even some of that, like, who's heard the tune to that even? I mean, it, you yeah. mainly just get that chorus of it. And, and I think that's the way a lot of these songs are. There's parts of them that still work, but maybe not mm-hmm. the whole piece. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was, going into this, I very, I, uh, it's called Yankee Doodle Dandy. And you're like, oh, and he's the guy who wrote the Yankee Doodle Dandy song. I have to admit, I really expected him to write Yankee Doodle. <laughs> I was going in this going, Yankee Doodle went to town riding on a pony. And then I see the Broadway number, and it's like he took that song and then added his own words to it to like go, oh, you remember this song? I'm going to take that American standard and use it in this Broadway play to tell this story. And he adds his own spin to the whole song. About a jockey. <laughs> yeah, about, yeah, about a jockey. And I was like, oh, that's not at all what I was wanting. Oh. <laughs> and, I, and I felt kind of dumb because I went, that song's a lot older than 1917 or whatever. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's kind of... Uh, I, I think that's where Scott and I are on this, at least, is, mm-hmm. that, is that the music is really both the point of the movie and maybe where it falls apart the most and, and some of the staging of the production. Uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I think the story works overall. I think that, um, you know, I think the first 30 minutes of the movie, and I know you want to touch on the end of the movie yeah. works. And, and there's a couple of other scenes sprinkled throughout that really work. Um, yeah, I think, that I think, was my biggest frustration, honestly, was the individual scenes worked, but there were certain times that I didn't feel like there was a connection between the scenes. Mm-hmm. It's like it kind of wandered a little bit where I was kind of going, what is this story about? I mean, I know it's supposed to be about George Cohen, but it's like, as the story was going along, I could never quite sense where it was headed. Mm-hmm. So like this scene by itself worked wonderfully, you know, take any, any one scene and it's a strong scene, but you add them all together and it doesn't quite have a narrative flow or at least I didn't feel like it did. Right. Um, well, I, th- I think the narrative flow of it really was interrupted by, you know, 10 minute long musical numbers. Yeah. I, th- I think that that's, um, that said, uh, with our issues with the music and with the staging and some of it, um, there are some spectacular musical numbers in here. Like some of the staging is very, very interesting. Um, it's all staged on a stage, so it's kind of got this flat thing, but it also gives you a a sense front of row seat. A, a front row seat to a stage production from the era. So there is kind of a a certain um, 
you know, I'm, I'm sure that these are way over the top, uh, a little bigger than, since it is a film, it's probably bigger than what really was on stage. Yeah. But at the same time, you get kind of a sense of, of what theater was like during a specific era in America. And I think that's kind of valuable. And James Cagney, going back to him, mm-hmm. he really, really is very good in this movie. Uh, you know, I, he, he has oh, he's a, fantastic. He, yeah. he's, he's a great actor during this. Um, he has the most unique dancing style. Oh, absolutely. Uh, his, it's, 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 it's almost strange. It's you're watching, you're going, I have never seen anybody dance like that before. And it's, it's very impressive. And it's, it's almost marionette like mm-hmm. sometimes the way his upper body isn't really moving, but his legs are flying all over the place. Yeah, and his, his legs just do weird things. Um, yeah. but, but it's good. It's very good. And, and that alone, um, I know is the, is, is a major reason a lot of people love this movie is just mm-hmm. because of getting to see James Cagney dance. Um, you know, uh, uh, your love of James Cagney is going to to uh, uh, determine your mileage on that particular concept. Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, it's good so, in parts. Yes. Know? And I, um, I want to talk about the frame story because yeah. that, that was my f- absolute favorite part of this movie and I wanted more of it. And I, I kind of feel like the narrative might have been a little bit stronger if we had cut back to the frame story a couple more times. Um, but the movie begins kind of at the end where he's gone back to Broadway after having left it. He's doing a play now about the president and we don't get to see a lot of it. We do get to see one song, um, but he's playing uh, Franklin D Roosevelt, which I got a big kick out of because I, I'm not sure if at that time people yet knew that uh, Roosevelt was in a wheelchair. They didn't. He's, they didn't actually know yet. Right, and so in the play, he is just dancing all over the stage as Roosevelt, and it's like I, I got a real kick. Uh, that that might have been my favorite, just like part of the whole movie, just because I was like, oh, that's right, they didn't know that, you know, because Roosevelt was on the radio, he wasn't on TV, and also they kind of tried to hide that because the idea of a crippled president might send the wrong message. Um, and so I got a kick out of that. But anyway, after the, after the play, he gets a letter from the president saying, I would like you to come to the white house, please. And he's really nervous. And then he goes to the white house. He's let in, he walks up to the oval office and, uh, he sits down with the president, the president said, you know, they start talking and Cohen's very uh, nervous, and he, then he starts telling his story, and we go back to his birth, and we get to see the entire movie. Um, and then the, it comes back, and this whole time, what I was expecting as a viewer, not knowing Cohen's story, I expected Roosevelt to be there to ask him to write a new song. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to war right now. We could use another one of your standards. Remember over there? Do you remember uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy? We need something like that to stir the troops. And I, I expected this whole movie to almost be the origin story of that one song we still know today. Mm-hmm. That's not what it's about. It's actually about how George Cohen is presented the Congressional Medal of Honor. And at, at least at the time, or as of maybe even still today, he is the only songwriter, he is the only artist who has been given the Medal of Honor. 
Oh, he was definitely the first. I, I don't know if he's the only one or not. Um, okay, but I, he, read, I read somewhere that he was the only, but that might have been and, at a certain time. And, and that, that is Paul's. He was definitely the very first to receive Yeah. And it's at that moment that, to me, I, I, I have to admit, um, I was a little bored by the overall movie. Um, and But that scene alone almost justifies the entire two-hour movie. Um, because, and I almost wonder if it's that scene that people walk away from, and that's why it's on the AFI. Because we, as individuals, we want to believe that we matter. We want to believe that we will be remembered, and that what we're doing is important. But a lot of us don't feel that way, I don't think. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say a lot of artists definitely don't feel that way, because... Um, there is certain societal stereotypes that men are supposed to be doctors or soldiers or lawyers or this thing over here that we've already said is very important. And so when we decide to become artists, um, I think sometimes we, uh, we kind of kill our fathers, <laughs> or, you know, not literally, but you know, it's like our fathers kind of go, oh, oh, you're not going to be this other important thing. You're going to go sing and dance okay, you know, and so in this movie, we get to vicariously see that, and the president in this movie, the president himself says, um, you're just as important as any gun or any soldier we might have. You are doing your own thing here, and what you have done is basically win us the war. You have, or at least World War One. you know, mm-hmm. you helped win us that war because you got everybody so excited and you got everybody behind the troops and the troops need that. They need you over here doing what you're doing and all you're doing is sharing your love for your country and so you're important, what you do is important and you will be remembered, if nowhere else, in you know this list of history where we talk about the people who won the Medal of Honor. You're going to be listed next to these people who fought and died, you know, and what you're doing is of merit and it's of value. And to me, I got a little choked up because then he goes outside. And here's a little bit I did learn about this movie that I, I really thought was cool. He leaves the Oval Office and he's walking down the stairs and he tap dances his way down the stairs. Apparently that was just ad-libbed. That wasn't part of the script. The script was just him to walk down the stairs. But it, It's like a perfect moment in the movie. It, it's really. absolutely perfect because it's you can see the because he walks into the office completely with dread and like oh no I'm going to get in trouble for making fun of the president I'm doing this thing and he walks out just with a literally a skip in his step you know he's walking down and he just can't help but dance because that's who he is and then he goes out and the soldiers are marching off to war and they're singing one of his songs and he goes and he starts walking next to them. And one soldier's like, don't you know this song? I can't hear you, <laughs> you know? And so then they all kind of march off singing uh, the song over there. And it was, to me, just incredibly moving. And he's, even Cagney is, or Cohen, I should say, is crying by the end. You can see a tear coming out of his eye as he walks next to these troops and he's singing his song. Um, it was incredibly moving to me. And I was like, okay, I get it now. Um, but... I wanted more of that. I really wanted more. And I thought it was interesting the way they, they shot those scenes because mm-hmm. it kind of reminded me of Ben-Hur where they don't show the president. <laughs> mm-hmm. You only ever see the back of his head. You see a little bit more of him near the end of the movie, but for the most part, they tried not to film him, it looks like. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do believe that this is one of the earliest portrayals of a living president in a film. 
uh, possibly the first. I, I don't want to say that equivocally, but um, I wouldn't be surprised either way. <laughs> yeah, but I, I believe I'm remembering that it's the first depiction of a living president in a mm-hmm. in a film, and so you know uh, they were kind of taking some of the same risk that you know apparently uh, Cohen was taking with uh, right. his his play. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that even though this is really I, I completely agree on on how powerful of an ending it is. I, you know, I think it really, really sums up the, this man's life in, in a lot of ways. Um, other than the fact that pretty much this entire movie is fictional, <laughs> right? There is the, there is that. I read that too, where uh, Cohen saw the movie and goes, "That's a great movie. Who's it about?" Exactly. Um, you know, and and that goes back. Uh, I know at some point we're going to be doing a podcast about uh, adaptation and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but just to, as a side note, uh, you know, uh, I think this is a movie that, you know, some of it, it, a lot of it is maybe apocryphal and doesn't necessarily hold up to any real scrutiny of, of you know, biography. But at the same time, I think it probably does capture the spirit of what Cohen wrote and did yeah. And then, as well, a spirit of a very specific time in American history. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in those ways, it's biographical in and of itself, or to itself, maybe, without being accurate to the history, I, I could say. Definitely I in the spirit of Cohen. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a literal story. Um, I was reading some of the little things of his life that they kept out of the story. And as you read it, you, you understand. You go, well, it's not really important how many times he got married. It's not actually important how many children he had. Mm-hmm. What's important is this man and his work. So that's the story um, that they decided to tell, you know? Exactly. Um, so I guess that brings us, let's let's maybe kind of, uh, I, I think people might kind of know where we're going to land on this, but let's kind of hit our summary of this thing here. What do you think, Scott? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting movie. Um, one last thing I want to touch oh, on. Oh, yeah. Um, and this is com- a complete tangent, I will admit right now. Um, but there is a very wonderful episode of Doctor Who that this reminded me of. Um, <laughs> um, it's from the Eleventh Doctor's story, and I would recommend anybody watch it, even if you're not a fan of the show. If you ever seen the show, um, I believe it is now on Netflix streaming. So I would definitely recommend finding. It's called Vincent and the Doctor, and in the episode, uh, the Doctor and Amy go back and they meet Vincent Van Gogh, and. It's a wonderful character. I mean, it's like it's it's kind of it's definitely sci-fi fantasy. It's definitely got a creature in it. But the last ten minutes of the movie are very similar to the last ten minutes of this movie, where they take the uh, they take Vincent forward in time, and they show him uh, basically the impact he has made on the world. They they take him to a museum where everybody is just raving about his work, and it's one of the most incredibly moving episodes of. Of the show and, and of a lot of shows I've ever seen, and it reminded me of this, and it just it takes me to that uh, it takes me to Cohen where he was actually able to see the impact he made in his own time. A lot of artists don't get that. A lot of artists are literally starving artists, and we don't discover their work until they're dead. And so, I think for the frame story and for the relevance that he had in the time, watch the movie. You know, um, if you're a fan of uh, James Cagney. In any of his other movies, 
uh, this is a great performance. It's a really solid performance that you should check out. If you uh, like black and white movies and are okay with some of their uh, slower parts that we you know that we've kind of grown out of since then, uh, check it out. Um, if you're just looking for a good movie for the group to watch on Saturday night, um, maybe not. Um, <laughs> I would definitely recommend this as a rental. I wouldn't say run out and buy it right now. Um, this is definitely a movie that you know is it, it's good. I would def- I would recommend it. I wouldn't give it a strong recommendation just because, like I said, I was a little bored about an hour in and it's a two it's a it's a long movie for the time it's two hours and six minutes and so it's a it's a bit of a haul (laughs) yeah i would i would tend to agree you know i think it could have been you know if it had been maybe 30 minutes shorter it might have been a better film i think that would have cut out some of the musical stuff that that bogs it down um you know, I, I, I would agree. It's it's certainly not a bad movie. It's it's. I mean, it actually is a very good movie in any number of respects. It's just a, a very slow movie with bits that don't work today very well. Yeah. Um, you know, it definitely has some historical significance to it. It definitely, um, you know, if you're interested in uh, the early history of vaudeville or the early history of theater in America or... Um, World War II propaganda or, you know, classic films or anything like that, it's, it's well worth your time to watch it. So, you know, our, our issues with it, keep in mind, I mean, we're here to critique purposefully. Um, yeah. You know, at, at the same time we say that, it's definitely not a bad movie. It's, it's, it's a no. very good movie in any number of ways. It has some great performances. There are some, some fun dance numbers mm-hmm. amidst the slower ones that you know and and maybe some of the staging will work better for you than it did for us um, absolutely mileage definitely varies yeah so um you know it's it's uh, it has some it has some very good it's it's a mixed bag is, is what i would say mm-hmm. um definitely one to uh you know choose for yourself don't make the group watch it as scott said you know it's 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 up to you if you want to see it is what i would say should it be on the top 100 of the AFI? You know, I don't know. I mean, it does have... I, I can certainly see if you're coming at it from the standpoint of some historical significance. Yeah. You know, maybe it does. But there are certainly incredibly better musicals. Yeah, and that's that's my question still. And I'll be curious to see if we run into this issue again. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there is... are yeah, are they approaching some of these entries from a historical standpoint? If if so, well, then this definitely deserves to be on the list. Yeah, you know, if uh, but I would say there's better musicals and mm-hmm. there are significantly better historical movies, um, yeah. even about some of that same period. Yeah, um, and so yeah, I, I, I'm exactly where Scott is. You know, I, I wonder. It, honestly, it was me. the The fan of film history enjoyed this, mm-hmm. but the casual viewer inside me, the one who just who you know who will go see the new Transformers movie and enjoy it or whatever, um, was a little bit bored. And I was sitting there going, "Man, I wish this was Gypsy. I wish this was um, Sound of Music, Fiddler on the Roof. You know, any of these other historical musicals that I will watch ad nauseum mm-hmm. and still do. And I so it's like I'm a fan of this, but at the same time. <laughs> exactly, you know, and I, I'm, you know, I'm sure like something like Wizard of Oz is coming up. Um, yeah, 
you know, and and some some definite other things. And I know when we hit the animation category, you know, uh, we've had Toy Story before, and then I know we're going to get Snow White. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and I do know Sound of Music is on this list, and it's very high on this list. Exactly. But, you know, I know with Snow White, uh, I've seen it, and I know it's not my absolute favorite of the Disney movies. Yeah. But I also understand that it has massive historical significance to it. So, I'm not sure entirely how to respond to this movie under those guidelines, because I don't feel it quite carries that, that same weight as maybe other historical films might. Mm-hmm. Um so, anyhow, uh, we'd love to hear what you think about this movie. Um, you know, assuming that you go watch it. Uh, that might be the best reason of all to go watch it, is because if you do, then you can talk back to us about what you think about it. So, um, please do. Yes, and then... Are you still recording? Yep. <laughs> and then come back next week, or whenever uh, we record the next one, uh, as we discuss Blade Runner. Really, that's sci-fi. Indeed. We're both very excited about it because uh, we, we loved it before we started this podcast. Yeah. And <laughs> We're both big fans of Ridley Scott, and both big fans of sci-fi. Exactly. Well, I'm definitely a fan of sci-fi, so... Exactly. So, uh, we'll, we'll see what... Uh, what holes we can poke in it and how much we can love on it at the same time. So, all right, see you next time. You've been listening to Movies You Should Love. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com.